This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. A podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Schmidt Duop and Mason Ginsburg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know. This episode is brought to you by DealDash and BetOnline.ag. We recorded a two-hour podcast that we've split up into two. This is the second part, kind of out of order. We brought our favorite guest, Michael McNamara, to break down what's going to happen for the rest of the season as it resumes and what's going to happen for tonight's game against the Utah Jazz. Let me just start it right off with... What do you guys uh, expect to happen in this Utah game? And whether that's from a win-loss perspective, whether that's from, um, you know, an executional standpoint, what what are your expectations going into this game? How do you think the outcome is going to be? I mean, we know it's going to be a one-possession game from this season's examples, right? I mean, <laughs> something crazy is going to happen. It's the very first game in the bubble that counts. Uh, the Pelicans have played two really weird games against Utah this year. So, I mean, I don't think there's a doubt there. But um, I'm very interested to see how how the fact that Zion didn't play any games in the bubble and now all of a sudden they're integrating him. And I know that I'm, I'm not saying that the scrimmages, I, despite your tweet, Schmidt, I'm not saying the scrimmages are terribly meaningful and predictive for the, for the rest the next eight games. But I do think, you know, trying to get things all together in such a short amount of time uh, and then – not having your, you know, a, a star, one of your best players as in the rotation or, or in his role, in, even for those last games before you start off. I, I think it could be a little, a little challenging. I mean, we saw they lost the, we lost, they lost Zion's debut to the Spurs um, uh, in a game they, they could have won. And so it's, 
all that being said, um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come down to something wacky at the very end of the game. I feel like that's we have to expect that at this point with Utah. Before I answer, can we acknowledge honestly that no matter what I say, like it's not gonna have an impact on what actually happens in the world? <laughs> no. Did, did Margo Robbie not show up at your door? <laughs> oh God, I wish. Um, no, but like this whole thing of like jinx and what it, like we're all smart enough to know that no matter what I say right now, it's going to have no impact on it. I, I hope. So I'm going to just say what I honestly think and expect is going to happen. And I better not hear any jinx stuff tomorrow. But if I honestly had to bet, I've been watching this team for a good part of my entire life and this franchise in different areas. Like, I'm pretty confident I know how it's going to go tomorrow. They're going to look good in small parts, but they're going to miss a lot of shots, have some really bad turnovers. Here we go. Somebody's going to get injured, and then they're going to – lose a game and they're going to start this bubble off something like one and three like it's just it's gonna happen like I, I I've been following this way too long and it's the same pattern all the time like to think that it's going to be different and I know people say it's different ownership and different player or whatever but I can't watch the same thing play out like almost every year and then watch people's expectations get up like the same thing happens every single time. So to me, I would be shocked if it's anything different like than that this next week. And I'm sorry. And <laughs> I promise I have no jinx potential and this isn't a reverse jinx thing. It's just what I honestly expect to happen after following this team for, what is it? 30. I, so I started in 93. What would that so close to, 30 years now it is a serious <laughs> level of jadedness it's like <laughs> is it jaded or is it like okay so if everything had been positive for the last 27 years and i predicted real something really positive to happen i'd be a realist then right so like the, why the why am i jaded the definition no, of mean, insanity is is it's uh, seeing the same thing happen over and over again and expecting different results right so in theory you're the most sane person uh, with your expectations yeah, like I saw somebody, I literally, let me, I want to pull it up just to make sure I have it exactly right. Cause like this is made me cry. There's a, on Pelican's report, there's a thread going and people basically bring up, you know, how this trend and this guy says things are different this time. And like I just spit out my drink. I was <laughs> like, you don't know how many times I've heard that exact sentence. I probably even said it myself for 10 or 15 years, but like, I, to me, it should be shocking if they play as well as all the stats and 538 predictions and all that stuff, you know, make you believe. It doesn't matter what's on paper. It doesn't matter the amount of talent. Like, I've seen the story too many times. The fans' hopes are up right now. They looked amazing in games that didn't matter. Like, they're going to lose to the Jazz. Somebody's going to tweak an ankle and a week from now, everybody's going to go, what the hell happened? We had the most talented team in the bubble, and now we don't even have a chance at the play-in game. Like, it, it's just what's going to happen. I'm isn't, sorry. Isn't that like a textbook sign of a, an abusive relationship where you're, you're <laughs> saying it's, it's going to be different this time? 
when, yeah. when you're constantly i mean like not to make light of like actual abusive relationships but i think like that is one of the symptoms right yeah and and it will eventually like this team i i it would be so hard to believe that they have five six eight years of brandon ingram and zion williamson and they don't break through and just have at least one or two amazing seasons if not more like it'll happen eventually i don't believe it's going to happen now but you know i i hope i hope i hope they proved me wrong but that's my my prediction hashtag no jinx yeah well i think it's going to be different this time and if they're going eight and oh in the in the in the bubble and i don't actually know what's going to happen in the playoffs but it's going to be a 16 and 0 preseason plus bubble exhibition um exhibition output that's that's what they're going to do they're just going to be undefeated in what are basically glorified scrimmages that's my uh opinion write it down and make sure you send me screenshots two years later of of my tweets that were wrong about it <laughs> in all seriousness like now that you guys have got to see some games inside the bubble i know they're just scrimmage games but like when we look back what's the narrative going to be two three months from now as far as like the teams that played over their head in the bubble, the players that were better suited for it, were suited for it, et cetera. Like what's your, your best guess of this scenario and what it breeds? Yeah, that's so hard for me because I feel like people are going to shape the narrative in any which way that suits them. So, you know, if, if LeBron's team wins it's either going to be a bunch of oh well you know they they got lucky in the bubble or it's oh well he overcame all these things in the bubble um you know vice versa for you know the bucks or or anyone else they're like oh well this person this is an asterisk because it's a a low pressure situation and they didn't have to overcome what a typical finals winner has to do or whatnot so to me that's a little bit annoying i think if anything the preseason games have shown that the level of play and the output really isn't impacted by the environment and, and the lack of fans because, you know, it, on average, it the quality of play is higher than it typically is in a preseason game, but it's lower than it is in an NBA game. I think I was looking at some statistics. They're looking at the average offensive rating in the preseason versus the regular season versus the bubble. And it was higher than the preseason, but it was lower than the regular season for, for all teams across the board. So, you know, to me, I think people – greatly underplay the impact of randomness uh, whether that's the randomness of a few shots going in that were supposed to or not and in them overplaying the impact of randomness in life in general and in sports allows them to shape narratives any which way they want to and that's a hundred percent what's going to happen um, regardless of whatever the outcome is in the, in the bubble but you don't think any data so let's say the smart people who go back with data and their data only, no, like, you think they'll find any, like, one of my hypotheses is that role players will play much better in the playoffs than they traditionally have in other playoffs. And like, Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, the data would have to be really, really conclusive to support that it wasn't just the case of randomness. It wasn't just a case of people getting hot. Like, it would have to be you know, statistically significant across the board. And then I'd be like, okay, you know, these people did better in the bubble. And even then it's, is it the fanless environment or is it this, this 
environment where they've had three months to rest and recover and get healthy and there isn't a season-long strain on their body and mental capacity that allows them to be fresher I don't know and but you know on the flip side why doesn't that apply to defense you know if if there is this if they if they have all those positive factors working for them on offense theoretically all those positive factors should be working on defense and maybe just ends up balancing itself out Mason, any hypothesis about the bubble? You know, not not really. So I was. It's funny. I was uh, I was looking at the the ratings and kind of the rankings of teams over the three games and, and kind of how, and how they performed uh, efficiency wise. And I was looking. I was like, wow, this looks to be pretty correlated to uh, to how good the teams were in the in the regular season. And then it kind of struck me that we're missing the worst eight teams <laughs> from the list. And so, like, if you look top to bottom, it's like, well, yeah, every team should be good. So it was like, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how much we can, we can draw from, from these past few games as far as the eight games f- looking forward and, and, and whether or not it's, it's a predictive uh, or, or reliable metric or um, data to use. Uh, I, I'm kind of on the side of Schmidt here. I, I think, I mean, just statistically speaking, it would have to be just overwhelming. Like you see certain things just happening at such an obscene rate. And even, even then, like it's, you know, how confident can you really be that you can project forward? And so, th- I mean, I think the good news for teams, um, which is kind of not, I guess not that good news in the grand scheme of things, but like not a lot of these guys you have to make key decisions on. And so the likelihood of one, you getting some data that's enough to project off of, and two, you having to make a decision on that player the following off season is probably pretty low. Right. And so is it even that concerning um, uh, holistically? Like, are you going to really make a trade based on that eight game set? Like, I don't think so. Right. I asked Griff that outright uh, in one of the press conferences and he said he, they were basically, not going to take any of the data from this as predictive because they didn't want it to be a situation where it's like, Oh, a guy got hot for the NCAA tourney and that ends up outweighing your, all the other valuations for that player. So they're, they're definitely going to be pretty conservative with how they approach this from an evaluatory standpoint with their own personnel and and other personnel as well. Yeah. I think in the eight games, that's fair, but there's going to be teams that play 25, 30 games in this bubble. Like, I, I don't know. I I just – I think that there are going to be things that are going to be different. I think – and I think people are going to reach the wrong conclusions. Like, I think that young players will play better in the bubble than they traditionally do in games that matter, i.e. end of regular season games that determine seeding normally and or playoff games. And my theory isn't because of the legs – it's because of the atmosphere. These guys aren't as far removed from playing AAU games in front of nobody that have high consequences. Like they, they have been in similar atmospheres um, and, or lack of atmospheres. I also think that like where a guy like LeBron um, has an advantage over a young guy is he knows how to take care of his body on the road. He knows how to eat. He knows his sleep schedule, like all of these things. I think that's where, like when we go and get a guy like J.J. Redick, that's where he brings his value 
is teaching young guys those things because they have no clue. Now there's no advantage like that anymore. And nobody's traveling. You know, everybody, like all of these vet things that vets are good at and know how to do and, and get themselves ready for a game and know what to avoid, like all of those X factors have been taken out of the equation. And I'm not saying young players are going to be better than vets because of this. I'm saying the gap is going to reduce because of the removal of those variables. Like that's just a guess. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, like on a balance, you know, those gaps you're talking about amount to like one or two, maybe three, four possessions a game, right. You know, that outplaying uh, a younger player in, in two possessions that really matter that can, that can swing the whole game. And, and so, you know, it's not like you're talking like they're, they're massive differences, but yeah, you make a great point. Those X factors can be the difference between that one possession that, that changes the game from a win to a loss. And, and I agree with that. It's, it's, and I, I think it's really interesting and because I don't know if I've ever cared enough to look into the whole adage that, that people use around role players playing better at home. Because that, that would contradict directly, Mac, I think what you were t- talking about and saying that in the bubble, maybe role players play better. Um, but if there's, I mean, I'd say, I'd argue that these games are much closer to road games for both of these, for both the teams that will be playing every night than home games. And so if that's the case, like is one is the role players play better at home uh, comment, even statistically relevant. And two, if that's the case, how do we think that, you know, that relates to the bubble? I don't think they play better at home. I think they play bad on the road. And okay. home, home and neutral is their baseline. I, I think that the only thing that affects them is the actual road. Um, the fans. Interesting. Travel, okay. all, that's, that's always been what I thought. Like, I think there is a 0% chance that Frank Jackson plays well in any important games in a regular scenario um, especially on the road if, if there's no corona. I think there's at least a chance that a guy like him, um, you know, that he could have a couple of games in the bubble that surprise us. Same with Nikhil. Like, I, I, and, and this goes for a lot of guys on, on other teams. Like, that would just be my guess, and I'd be, I'd be curious about a statistical sample. But I think there will be things that will – be different um how about from a production standpoint how have you guys liked watching the games and has there been anything weird um or good about the games that you guys have actually liked the production i don't like the sideline cam or the dude or the rail the, the robotic rail cam that's on the sideline uh, i thought it was a dude running with it but i think it actually is a robotic rail i don't like that perspective other than that i think the production has been pretty high quality and I don't really have any complaints. It looks like a professional basketball game. And honestly, I can't even really tell that fans aren't there. Yeah. I was actually noticing the the stark difference um, in the, really the, the impact of the lack of fans between even like baseball and basketball games. And it's like how you can very quickly tell. And I, uh, you know, just optically that this is a totally weird, different environment. In, in basketball, it's like you said, it's a lot harder to tell. And I might be a little biased because I am, uh, I'm, I like the summer league environment too, like in Vegas, and, and it's kind of similar. Um, but 
I don't know. I just, I just, I'm not that, it doesn't feel that off to me. Was my broadcast off or do you guys ever hear, hear the whistles? I never do. Like, I'll see. My, my broadcast seemed delayed, so I would hear the whistle after the thing had happened. So I'd see, like, guys throw their hand up, and I'm like, why are they quitting on the play? And then, like, I'd hear a whistle, like, a second later. I'm like, oh, okay, like, that's what's going on. And I don't know if that was just because of my janky stream. And I don't want to call it janky. These are high-quality illegal streams, folks. <laughs> I mean, these are really good quality. They're better than League Pass, because the League Pass product is absolute shit. Um, but it, I didn't know if it was a product of the stream or, or what was actually so, happening. That's it's. I watched those three games in completely different ways. All three of them. The first one was NBA TV. The second was spoofing my location on my on my phone or either phone or computer to be considered in the New Orleans market to stream it. And then yeah, it just it just got per like it's a shame that like that still is a thing that we have to worry about for a damn like scrimmage before a bubble. Um, and they should just kind of give that game away, uh, no matter where you are. I don't. I guess there's rules in place that I don't know about that prohibit it. But, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, and I'm looking forward to being able to actually watch games the way they were <laughs> were supposed to be broadcasted. Well, I watched all mine legally, and yeah, that <laughs> that was my one issue. Is I I never heard a whistle, you and you would see something and be like, how are they not calling that? And then a second or two later things would stop and it just um yeah that was the only thing and i don't know like are they still allowed to do replays and all that stuff because it seemed like that never happened and it seemed like it happened 50 times a game you know back in february and march like are all those rules like they they might be like getting up to speed with their production and the replays and stuff i i saw some of them although i don't particularly remember a situation where i'm like man i really wish there was a replay and there wasn't one uh i didn't really have a problem with that it it may have just been that particular i know some feeds like the away feeds were kind of the equivalent of the in-game mega billboard not the billboard you call it the um whatever the giant screen in the middle is called uh, the equivalent of those uh, feeds. And I think they're just kind of like ironing it out, but I, I didn't really have much of a problem with that. Okay. Yeah, no, I, it was better than I would thought it would be. I'd still like to, I, I wish there was a league pass option for, I'd pay a decent amount of money for it where I could just get an R rated uncensored feed on a comp- on a different channel um i'd pay good money for that and honestly sports leagues are gonna have to do things like that to make up the revenue and i uh i will be one of those idiots paying for it i don't think that's i that's i i think it's absolutely worth the money um and especially you know maybe we get like a small taste of it in the bubble to see like what you know the preview of what we could get with full access because you're they're gonna try their best to censor as much as they can but i mean what can you, I mean, how much can you really do? And I know that they do tape delays, but there's going to be more things that slip through the cracks than otherwise would. And, um, you know, th- this will be the teaser for the, the full access that you're looking for. I agree. I do want to bring the conversation back uh, more to the Pelicans. And specifically, we were talking about young players or, or role players outperforming. And, and you guys mentioned Frank Jackson. We now have this extended pre-game pre-season sample size where he did well in the beginning of the season he's doing well now uh, and, and he's not the only young player that's kind of faced that 
do you guys feel like, and I know this is a little bit cheating because we talked about this a little bit offline, but I want to get your guys' thoughts uh, on the rotation going forward, uh, especially, you know, in these eight games, maybe the playoffs is a little bit different. Do you guys think he's re-earned this opportunity to continue to get minutes? Do you think Alvin should continue to roll deep or do you think they need to like constrict the, the, the rotation down and, you know, cut guys like him and, and Nikhil and, and Jackson out of it and really focus on winning each game and treating it as if it's a, a winner go home type situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they play the best players uh, and maybe with a slightly longer, slightly deeper rotation uh, in the, in the sense that um, you said, you know, you, you asked Griff about the front office perspective on what this, these bubble games mean. And if the, the truth really is that, they're not taking anything away from it, then who cares, right? Let the coach play the players you think are, I mean, not that there's like any sort of uh, approval system going on here, but just saying like, you, you just, you, you play the guys you think as a head coach help you win games most. And you, you give a little, you know, you pull back minutes, maybe a little bit. And as players get their legs back under them, but like, I don't, yeah, that that's kind of where, where, where my head's on it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's tough because it's like multiple messages coming from this organization the whole year. Like they know that they're not winning a, a title this year or anytime soon. Um, so really like, I, I, I think a guy like Jackson Hayes is more the litmus test for me than Frank Jackson. I think, I think you could maybe talk yourself into Frank Jackson could be a solid role player for uh like I couldn't talk myself into that but I could see how the Pelicans brass could but nothing more than that I think Jackson Hayes is the the litmus test for you know what the Pelicans number one priority he plays a position that they really need to soak up at least a couple minutes from especially if if Zion's going to be managed um, in the first couple of games and he's a guy that has the potential to be a a core piece I think I think you've you've got to play him even if it costs you you know a win somewhere down the line and even if that costs you a chance at the play-in game will they my gut says that they will up until the point where there's little to no room for error. And that could come as early as, as the first week. I guess why, why is it that important for, for you? And I'm, 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 I, I'm agreeing with you conceptually that I think it would be great if Jackson Hayes plays a consistent role for this team uh, in the bubble. I'm not at the point where I, I I'm willing to trade uh the win that gets me in the playoffs for his minutes for, for an eight game sample size. Um, and, and even, even if it would help his development, I'm just not convinced it would do that much for it. So that's interesting to me. Cause I, I'm not a believer. Like I understand the narrative of, you know, those playoff games are going to have so much value down the line. But again, I've been a fan of this franchise since 93 and I've seen them go to the playoffs one year and get that quote-unquote fantastic experience, and then it leads to absolutely nothing the year after that or the couple of years after that. And I'm not just talking about the last two times against the Warriors and, and Portland. Um, you know, I, I saw Alonzo Mourning 
make a game, a series winning shot over the Celtics in 93. It didn't do jack for them the next year. And like, I, I don't, I don't believe that idea of, and then especially in a situation as weird as this, that just by them getting into a play-in game or even the playoffs against the Lakers, that that's magically going to have some value for future seasons. I could see the frustration and the chip on the shoulder of not making it and getting screwed and, you know, whatever, having more value. So I, I'm just not a believer in that as a definite benefit, but I am a believer in continuity and more minutes on the court that guys who are going to be future core pieces um, having at least some kind of tangible benefit. So that, that's where I'm at. I was convinced you were going to drop the 2008 Hornets and then, and then the following year or 2008 playoffs Hornets. Then the following year was the Nuggets game where they lost by like a hundred points. Yeah, no, I mean, it's every (laughs) single year. Like that's another example. So don't tell me that it's automatic (laughs) that when you get to the playoffs, you get this experience that helps you in future years. Like people act like that is a automatic definite thing. And I could point you to, examples throughout this franchises and other franchises history that show no it actually doesn't matter so so kind of staying on this do you guys think you know there's a scenario where they open it up similar to where they open up this this regular season when they you know played against Toronto in the first few games where they're running basically 12 deep right they they have a lot of guys is there a merit to this sort of thought that okay we're going to play a bunch of guys we're not going to play them heavy minutes. You know, no one's really going to go over 32, 34 minutes or whatnot. And we're going to play them in bursts and we're just going to basically blitz the whole game on both ends, right? Where we're going to be relentless with our cutting, our, our transition, our, um, you know, offense, as well as being relatively fresh because we're playing a burst to just go all out on defense. Is there is there a merit to that strategy or is it just, you know, a situation where you end up um, – playing a team that is just flat out better than you from a talent perspective and kind of the marginal benefits you gain from that aren't exactly worth it. My like if I were trying to win the most games as a, a Pelican coach, I would do the 32 to 34 minute thing with my main players. is going to consistently win games is if they're up by 15 with six minutes left. And like my strategy would uh, like what, what you're talking about to me almost guarantees a close game. And I don't believe in this team in close games. So I wouldn't mind that strategy, but I would be the first team in history to like front load it, like have, have Drew go all out, tell him you're only playing 31 minutes, but they're going to be in the first 36, 37 minutes of the game. So go all out, and then you're going to get to rest in the fourth quarter. Like that that would honestly be my strategy because I have zero faith in this team in a close game. Apparently you have more faith in the medical staff with that, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like their NBA play, there's no travel, you know, whatever, like – like, and 
any athlete could go out and play 31 out of 36 minutes. Like, I, I don't know. I don't believe in, I believe in a lot of this load management stuff when there's a lot of other factors. If it's guys just waking up and walking across the street to go play basketball, I, I don't believe that load management is necessary. It's, a, it's that's an interesting point. Cause like, it's, it's all about, it's about the whole, whole thing, right? It's the travel. It's, it's going from flying, being in an airplane to being on the court, on the court. And so there's a, I think that's such an interesting point that I really hadn't considered until literally just now around, you know, what load management is a, is a combination of factors and, and you're, you know, you're deciding how much to decrease minutes or, or, or take games off. But do you have to worry about that as much in the bubble? The, the counterpoint to that is obviously, well, players have been sitting at home and, and just working out, but not really playing basketball for that long and competitive nature. And so there's, or, or maybe they're not ready for that yet. So I think there's, that's interesting two sides to that discussion. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my gut, my gut tells me that they're going to be pretty lenient with about who they play. Um, and, and like Max said, until it gets to a point where, Alvin's like, you know what, Frank, that you've died on a couple too many screens and now you've just had three too many turnovers that you're just like, what the hell are you doing? And all of a sudden it's just the end of the road for those guys and we never see them again and Lonzo's back to playing 40 minutes a game and Josh Hart's playing 18-minute stretches in a row and and we're, you know, we're kind of wondering what's going on with those uh, rotations when we do see Frank at the end of the second quarter for 35 seconds. Yeah, or or if it goes the other way, and I know you know, the Pelicans brass is probably saying that they're not going to take any of this into account when it comes to the bubble and the stats or whatever. But I can't imagine a world in which Frank and Nikhil play awesome in this scenario, and they're just all energy. They're putting up great per thirty six numbers. They don't really have bad games, whatever, and then they go out and and draft a guard next year like I I do think that they would take it into consideration and I do think that some of the role players are going to play above what they would in a non-bubble situation for a myriad of reasons so I I don't know I I would almost expect that to happen and honestly I'm expecting a couple of the the vet guys to actually struggle relative to their normal performance like Ingram's been shooting the ball really well but I'm telling you like he looks heavier out there he doesn't look like he could get by guys as easy and his handle looks really sloppy to me like you take away the contested shots and specifically the threes that he made and you just go off of eye test and not what his stats were per shot. I I am fully expecting him to struggle along with Drew, who always does after a layoff. So th- those are my predictions. I think we actually see some of our younger guys. I think Zion looks amazing in the bubble. I'm actually expecting a bit of a regression from Ingram and Drew. Conversely, I think we might see more situations like we did with JJ where he just gets really hot for three or four minute stretches. Maybe not 20 points in five minutes hot, but, you know, he, he nails two or three threes in a row. Uh, I really feel like this is – if there is a situation where fans don't matter and this travel doesn't matter, it's for these shooters. 
Um, and it, it may not be exclusive to J.J. Redick. You know, we may see it with guys like Duncan Robinson who are just complete flames for the rest of the bubble. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're for, I, I I think there's one Pelicans player specifically who is built for this, and it's each one more. <laughs> I, he he he's been talking about it. I think yeah. you know the first time we had a media appearance when they opened up training camp, and one of the first questions they asked each one was like, "Well, what's it going to be like playing without fans?" And he was just like, "Honestly, like that's what I'm looking forward to because ninety ninety nine percent of basketball like I've ever played has not been in front of fans. He goes like all of our practice are not in front of fans, and you know everything we do is just not in front of fans. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. I mean that was his response. And Uncle E to I the believe max. it. I believe it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and him and Nikhil, to an extent, are probably two of the Pelicans I've seen more than anybody else who get in their own heads. And I think that happens when there's fans in the crowd. I don't, I, I'm curious if guys like that, the overthinkers, also play better in this bubble. Because to me, that, like, I've, I've been to games and I've watched plenty of games where Etwan makes two or three mistakes and he's done. Like he, you could just tell he's going to be trash for the rest of the night versus a guy like JJ. He can miss three, four, five shots. He doesn't care. He's still going to believe in himself um, moving forward. So it's going to be interesting to me. I think, I think some of the mentally weaker players are actually going to perform above expectations in this. I, I think Harden's going to be amazing. And, like, I can I think he would fail in a regular playoffs this year. I think he's going to be unbelievable. Um, it, yeah, and so Harden, the Harden thing makes me take this, like, thought process, and this is past the bubble uh, playing games or, or the seeding games into the playoffs. Is like I, there's – there we, we all know that there's some, even if it's minor, some sort of uh, – refereeing bias I think that's driven by crowds and just like uh you know how averse you are to, to conflict and, and just like not wanting to be the one who or conversely maybe maybe you are that that referee that likes to rile up the entire fan base um but I think there there is some sort of even a cognitive bias when it comes to that and maybe in the bubble it's not and so what does that do for a player like James Harden that relies so heavily on officiating Yeah, I I don't know. These are to me. These are all the fascinating. Yeah, I mean, do you agree though things. about about the officiating piece with home versus road too? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see that. I I believe in it in playoffs versus not playoffs. I think traditionally, yeah, I'd be curious to see Harden splits in the playoffs and road versus home. I would my guess would be that those splits aren't as big because okay. the differences between just tr- regular season games versus playoffs I think refs swallow it as a whole but but I don't know um you could also like he does get like he does get contact there's also less noise like I could see mm-hmm. a scenario in which he gets more foul calls um you can hear it you could hear things more. yeah like I, I honestly i honestly could um i hope that applies to zion we're gonna get players like, like it, i just like the bigger guys that that uh 
that just overpower people are traditionally marginalized when it comes to the whistle. I mean, we saw it with Boogie, you know, obviously Shaq complained about it his whole career that people are beating him up. And despite these guys getting to the free throw line quite frequently, um, definitely not as much as they, they believe they should. But, you know, with regards to Harden, I think the biggest thing I'm surprised about is that, you know, of all the players to leave the bubble for a strip club, it wasn't him. <laughs> That's because there's a secret strip club in the bubble. I just haven't <laughs> told you guys about it. The, yeah. There was, um, I think it was Jason Jones. No, it was Marcus Thompson, um, one of one of I think the beat writers for the Spurs, who was talking about how, like, I think he was addressing what the players are doing for their sexual frustrations, and he said something along the lines of like, you know, you're not allowed to bring any family and stuff, but you're allowed to bring like trainers or or therapists and stuff and he's like there's some pretty hot massage therapists coming through as if to imply there's like these girlfriends or acquaintances that are posing as uh massage therapists that have gotten in through the bubble i'm not quite sure how true that is but i I really do wonder what this like workaround is that there i'm I'm sure there is something going on i just don't know if there's you know i mean we'll, we'll probably never hear about it unless a player decides to open up even during some podcasts of their own a few years down the road or something. Or JJ just next year or in the next episode of his ringer podcast. Yeah. That's gotta be a statistical variable as well. I remember there was like a, I think it was a German soccer team or whatever that was put on a no sex quarantine that just absolutely dominated one of the world cups. It was, it was somebody, but, um, yeah, I'd love to get that statistical analysis, but I I've made my predictions. What do you guys think? If you had to name your top, let's say two to three guys who you think overperform norms um, versus underperform, and then what do you guys see from the Pelicans in total in the bubble when when you're discussing this a month from now? How did it play out? So I'm going to stay on brand so my haters can stay my haters. I'm going to say Lonzo underperforms uh, relative to what we need from him and expect from him with regards to how he plays with Zion. Um, Again, uh, I think his performance is going to hinge upon him knocking down shots. And if teams decide to treat him as a threat, I'm not sure. Uh, he's going to be as productive in nailing them down. But if teams don't decide to, then yeah, I mean, he's probably going to get the same quality of looks then. But I, I feel like I kind of have to say his name just to piss some people off. Uh, it would not be um, me if I didn't. But um, seriousness, I, I, I think we see a productive Frank Jackson. I, I think that's going to happen. I think he's going to – him being able to play off of guys like favors uh, Zion and Jackson just working in those dribble handoff actions I don't want a situation where he's ever trying to initiate the offense but off the ball and just kind of like running around like JJ does he's he's a more athletic he's way more athletic than JJ right um but him being able to take guys off cuts or off the dribble in the handoff situations where he doesn't have to create for himself opens the game up for him and I think we see a productive Frank Jackson in the bubble that's that's what i'm uh that's my real prediction outside of the lonzo prediction um yeah i mean i i talked about more uh and but i also feel like this is like i think this is josh hart's time to shine too like i feel like 
he's a guy that he he feeds off a crowd, I think, but he also doesn't need the crowd. Um, and so I, I feel he's just he's got that motor on both ends. Uh, I mean, we've seen he's he's not he's not Kemrich in that regard, but but he's I don't think he's that far off. Um, you know, his he's always active on both ends on the glass. And so I, I think he's a guy with the type of motor that doesn't need to feed off the crowd. And I think I expect, I expect him to, to overperform. Um, uh, I'm really hoping, and, and Schmidt and I talked about this on a, on a prior pod, but um, I'm hoping that this time off um, help favors. And so, um, you know, we all see the, the, the metrics around how much he's helped the defense, whether that's um, how good he's been versus what the replacement level of those players about behind him are is up for discussion, obviously. But I, but I feel like, you know, the rim protection numbers were down significantly for him. Uh, and even versus what he was in Utah in the years previously, he just looked like a different guy. And so, you know, holding out hope that just the time off uh, helps helps favors uh, in, in, as far as his mobility is concerned. Um, so I, I'd say that those are the two guys I would I would mention in addition. Um, uh, you know, in my mind. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over one thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item's yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code PELICAN or DealDash.FM slash PELICAN. That's D-E-A-L d-a-s-h dot f-m slash pelican sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events major league baseball is finally kicking off this week and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners bet online check out all the odds futures and props to bet on all available 24 7 and with the return of sports bet online sat down with four former pro players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time nba champ robert horry See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans and a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So I had a question for you guys based off of some of the comments the players were making in their post-practice or post-game conferences about the defense and they were saying you know we we've really simplified stuff and I feel like we've heard that's not the first time we've heard that with regards to the Pelicans um I think we've heard it sometimes during AD's career whenever I think it was with Boogie and they were like oh we, we've simplified stuff and I think there was sometimes with Monty as well they're like oh we simplified stuff what do you think that means and do you think that's actually going to make a difference on their defense you think prior to this, they were just in such a complicated scheme that these young kids didn't want to figure it out. And they just went, they threw it all out and they're like, okay, let's just stick with the very basics of defense. Um, or, or do you think it's just, just talk? It's weird. weird. It's weird to me. Um, I just don't, I don't understand, you know, if you've played a certain way over the course of the season, you've gotten your, this, a, a lot of it has to do with roster, roster turnover, taking us back to the first topic we, we hit on is, you know, how, how much your roster's turned over and how much of the system do you need to reteach. And so, I mean, just 
from the bubble, pre-bubble to post-bubble, the the roster didn't change. Um, or you know, and so what? Why the need to to change things up? You know, or keep it simple? It does. It doesn't doesn't really check out for me. Yeah, I I think it could, like just doing a couple of small things could qualify and make their statement true. For instance, I know that depending on who the center was, there was different defensive calls for the uh, when other teams were in the pick and roll. Or when Drew was on the court, they would switch this but wouldn't switch that. And then when Drew was off the court, they switched everything, whatever. And it could just be as simple as, okay, universal rules. It doesn't matter if Favors is our center or Hayes is our center. Either way, we're going to drop. It doesn't matter if Drew's on the court or he's not on the court. In a 1-3 pick and roll, we're going to switch it. Like, it, it could be as simple as things like that that makes their statement true, but it's not like game-changing revelations that – you know, or would even be that obvious to a casual fan. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, at the same time, it really, they only really need to impact like one or two possessions over the course of a game to, you know, go from the 20th defense to like the 15th defense or from the 15th defense to like the 10th defense. So even if that's the case, um, I'd be in favor of that change if it makes them better, obviously. I, I mean, I do they, were, think... they were eighth. They were eighth with Zion. I don't know if you guys listened to the low yeah, part. Yeah, with... I, I also listened to the part where there was a lot of, like, three-point fuckery going on. And yeah. And I just don't know. But he did make a great point with, with Zion on the floor. Like, they just didn't foul people. They just stopped fouling people. And I think part of that is, like, you know, everyone was kind of playing up a position – when when Zion wasn't you know like they were starting JJ and you know Drew or Lonzo was or kind of at the small forward spot and Ingram was at the at the four spot and you know when you at a size disadvantage you're probably going to rack up more fouls and bringing Zion back probably helps with that and even when you're playing Kenrich there Kenrich is an aggressive guy that picks up fouls um, so that's probably an issue and I, I do think that part is real I, I don't know what that three point defense is going to look like. Uh, my sneaking suspicion, um, you know, if I if I had to guess, is is that they did simplify things defensively because I feel like there was probably a culture gap when Jeff Bizdelic was first brought on, and this is a guy that's been over the past two, three, four years uh, in Houston, and their sole focus at the end has been like we have to beat Golden State, and he they had a, a quite a veteran crew with with really smart defensive players such as PJ Tucker and and Trevor Ariza and those guys who don't really need that much instruction because they they really know how to play together and they communicate a lot and you know coming into a team that's this young and guys don't talk and don't even really know how to play defense and don't really fully understand NBA level defense yet I think there is you know maybe I don't want to say like Jeff had like bigger expectations from them and these guys didn't perform but I think, you know, there may have been a situation where these guys weren't ready to jump into his style of defense and they really did need something um, more simple or more codified or just another layer of structure, like you said, universal rules, um, rather than specific situations with specific players. And if that is something they implemented, uh, I anticipate 
the results being a little bit better. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I will say as much as Ingram does look a little slower to me and his handle looks looser, he like he was much better defensively in these three games, in my opinion, just from a physical standpoint and then also from his engagement. Like it just to me that was a one of the things that definitely stood out to me in these games. And yeah, they'll have plenty of bodies and try hard guys. Um I I honestly don't expect the defense to be a problem. I think it will in spots. I think the games that the Pelicans lose, you will see ice cold three point shooting, even non contested three pointers, and you will see a failure to be able to run a basic set and concepts and some kind of go to um play down the stretch and they'll lose close game. Like I'd be shocked if they get blown out in any games unless like it's one of those games where they go eight for 44 from three and the other team's just blistering hot. But I expect the, the couple of wins to be 12, 15, 20 point wins. And I really think the failure is going to come from the late game offense more than us just going how did they give up 139 points to the Tim Timberwolves? Like, I, I don't think it'll be the defense. I think it'll be the offense that disappoints. I, I, I think that even that kind of checks out to what happened during the regular season, right? I mean, this is a, this is a team that went eight games under 500 and was only a negative one net rating. I mean, it's the same as the Grizzlies pretty much 500. Like this is a team that's losing close games and winning by blowout. So if that's, again, I think that's a totally reasonable thing to to expect i think the only thing that's that's maybe a, a wrinkle on that that uh, you hit on at the very end was the offense piece versus defense but even that like um pelicans were around league average offensively this year and i know obviously that that, that jumps up a lot once zion came back but um but also you know is that really uh, it, it's it's not good enough for anyone to be surprised if they struggle on that end specifically in close games they were the absolute worst in clutch minutes is a 90.7 offensive rating, which I mean, you guys could speak to how bad that it like, that's, that's easily the worst offense of all time by gobs and gobs. And, and I agree that visually they didn't look good, but I, I kind of want to bring this back to a point I made at the beginning of this podcast is Again, how much of that is randomness? You know, how much of that is just guys missing shots that they normally, you know, you you, you play those clutch situations out a hundred times. You know, how frequently do they have that exact record? How frequently are they, you know, have a, an offensive rating of, of 95 or worse? You know, I, I just don't, you know, I, I think they're, they're probably still not very good at it. I just don't know if they're that historically pathetic at it. You know what I mean? I do because of the the pecking order issue. Like to me, I think when a lot of people look at rosters, they look at the collection of talent and the lack of negatives. And they go, oh, look who we have at point guard and shooting guard and small forward. Like there's no negatives here. So therefore it should be good. I don't think the NBA works like that, especially in closing minutes. Like I think it's actually much better to have like huge variance between your first 
and fourth and fifth best guy in your closing lineups. And I think that's why OKC is so good at it. I I actually think it's harder for Chris Paul to have a fantastic late game offense if he has a Harden or if he has a Blake Griffin. I think that when he's clear in a way the number one guy you're going to put a ball the ball in the hands of for the last possession and there's average to above average to maybe even one bad guy on the court with them I think that offense is always going to be better than five above average to good guys I just do I, I think the Pelicans problem is they actually have too many good players in their closing lineup and no clear one okay this is the set we're going to run and the other team knows it's coming but it doesn't matter because we have the guy who's going to make the right decision based on what the defense does and we're going to get a good look every time like what what's that play like what what's the play down by one let's not say 20 seconds left because then you'll rush a shot or whatever down by one minute 15 left you have the ball you're gentry who's on the court and what's the set you're running that you think is going to score more times than not i mean i think more times than not whoever's on the floor is going to forget whatever hell whatever the hell you <laughs> called out like they just they're just not going to execute what's out there and and i think that's i just think the attentiveness of this team has been pretty poor and I know people love to blame Gentry of the uh, about this, and, and maybe you know there is a teaching component that that he needs to uh, shoulder responsibility on. But I, I've talked to these coaches, and the players are just just not very attentive. And and I know we've had a lot of discussions about the IQ of players on this team, and and I don't know, you know, maybe it isn't exactly a, uh, an IQ thing. Maybe it's just a youth thing where. Um, you know, these guys who, what have they ever really had to focus on in their life? You know, um, it, it, they've just been playing basketball and they've always been the best at basketball at every, at every instant. And so, and, and we also live, I, maybe I'm going full boomer here, but like, you know, we also live in a, um, in a world where everything is designed for popcorn style consumption, right? So you're on Twitter, the, the, the feed is refreshing constantly. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for constant news every single time. The games we play, like, you know, you play call of duty. I play call of duty a lot. And the kids, sometimes you play with kids that just get antsy if they're not getting kills every three seconds. And so I don't know if, if humanity's collective attention span is is decreasing as the product of of the world we're in but i wouldn't be surprised if that's a factor just because of the youth of this roster and maybe it isn't an iq thing but i don't expect them to execute well whenever they're out of an out of time out situation for for a variety of those reasons and but if if they you know miraculously did you're right they don't have that guy i mean what do you, you you run a double screen for ingram you hopefully get him a look off the, the elbow like they did against utah i mean that's maybe the best thing you could probably do. And that's yeah. still a two-point shot that he's going to make 40, 45% of the time, which leads you right back to that 90 rating. Like, I, I, I just don't see – I don't see the play. And then, like, to your point, if you're right, then why not just run no play? Because these guys – you know, do fine in the first 42 minutes of the game with just a kind of a freestyle offense. 
would the answer be just putting no pressure on them, not even calling the timeout, and then just having a freestyle set all the time, even in those final minutes? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's an, if they have the opportunity to draw something up, I think they're always going to, or I think most of the time they would do it. But also, I don't think there's a, to, to your point, I mean, you've got two of the better isolation players in the league in terms of pure scoring and, and, and Drew and, and Ingram. Uh, you know, in having two of those weapons, uh, there's worse options uh, for other teams in, in the broken down play than one of those two guys having the ball in their hands. But also, to, it's not optimal and it's not going to get you the results you want on a consistent basis, right? And are they two of the best isolation? Like, I think better, you guys, better you, not best. That's I, I to clarify. No. <laughs> but I'm saying they are in the first 43 minutes of a game. But I think we're all in agreement that like those are two different sports. The first 43 minutes a game and the last five. Mm-hmm. Like I've never seen those guys do it in games that matter at times that matter. Like Drew did have that one kind of decent clutch season in a very small sample size, but I don't want them in the free throw line at the end of a game. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a different, there's just a, a totally different kind of makeup in person. Like Giannis is the best player in the world. I, I wouldn't feel calm. I I'm still not picking the bucks. I don't even know if I'm picking them to come out of the East because I just think there's a different, it's a different game in the final five minutes. And there's just, there's teams that are built to overpower you over the course of 48 minutes and wins games that way. And then there's just a different type of player and different type of team. And we see it with Kawhi that is just late game. So I don't believe in anybody on this Pelicans team to just go get a bucket at the end of games. And then other teams do it with execution. And and we don't believe that this team is capable of that either. So they better better have a lot of blowouts. I I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go that far with the bucks. I still think to me that they're, they should be the league favorite. And, and, and I definitely hear you on those concerns, but you know, with regards to the Pelicans, I don't really even think we've talked about, where Zion fits into this clutch situation. You know, it's just one of those I, – I don't trust the team to make an entry pass to him down low if, if it meant – like, I don't think this team – maybe Lonzo is, is like, above average at it and can consistently do it. Um, I, I, I would maybe trust that. But, like, to be able to, like, if they're going to post him up as, as a play, I, I just don't think they'd do it. So then you got to ask, like, they have to fall back on execution where they get him the ball – on the move or in a situation where they're just not stagnant and all eyes are on him and everyone knows where the ball is going in terms of an entry pass. But I, I do think he changes the dynamic of, of the clutch play a little bit because you do have to account for him and, and what he's able to do. Yeah, I would agree if Ingram wasn't on the team and Drew, like this is where I think having too many people – Actually, hurts, and I see. I saw Zion defer to RJ at Duke numerous times. Um, I actually think having less talent, like if I had to get one bucket, I would put out a lineup of something like Lonzo, JJ, Etwan Moore, Hart, and Zion. Like I, I wouldn't put out my best players. I actually think that hurts you. Um, 
that would be my my offensive lineup that I put out and I agree I would do something like getting um Zion off the move having Hart set that pit pick for him and get the ball going and then you know some spaced out guys but guys who are clearly the second through fifth options um I think this team is actually built with a little bit too much talent for those late game moments yeah I definitely want to get JJ involved in some sort of screening action just to to create chaos right because if if you're hiding a guy on JJ and you're just going to end up screening for Zion, that's murder, right? And then if you get caught up in a screen for JJ, you're leaving one of the best shooters completely open. So you're right. I mean, maybe that that is the approach, but I doubt Alvin and his staff are ever going <laughs> to take that. I'd be so. Can you imagine the meltdown of fans? First of all, like if he tried it, right? The 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 meltdown would be outrageous. And if it didn't work, people would be calling for his head. Like you bench Drew, you bench Brandon, blah blah blah. It would be insane. Yeah, I, but I mean, to me, historically, it were, I'm trying to think of the teams that had like multiple quality offensive options. Um, like the best one I could think of is the, is the Pistons. And, but still Chauncey was the guy, I mean, they would run rip off screens, but Chauncey was going to take almost every last minute shot. But like, that's the last team I could think of that was really good that had like a balance of multiple late game options. Like usually you have to have a clearly, clearly defined pecking order and a set you're going to go to. And then a couple options off of that set. Um, And I, I just think that's the problem for, for the Pelicans closing lineup actually. Cool. Well, I am out of questions for you guys. Do you have anything uh, else you'd like to address on, on this pod? Um, I want the one thing I wanted to talk about and because the three of us specifically had a discussion around this topic um, but before regarding the playing game and who the big Pelicans biggest threat is to that to that playing game with Memphis, assuming I Memphis gets eight. Uh, if if New Orleans is going to be battling with one team, is it Sacramento or is it Portland? And uh, I'm curious uh, if the seeding games or anything in between now and then has changed your mindset on um, on which team you feel like is the biggest threat to New Orleans or even Mac. Do, I mean, do you think you seem to think that there's going to be a team that that passes the Pelicans to play Memphis too, based on the, the other predictions, right? Yeah, I think Portland's clearly the best team, and I think they might be even the best team full stop out of all those teams, 8 through 12 or 13, whatever mm-hmm. it is. The schedule is just too hard. I still I still think Sacramento's slightly bigger threat to the Pelicans specifically because of their schedule and the fact that they get the Pelicans twice. They're – they're the team that to me i i worry a little bit more about i think if the pelicans go 5 and 3 um they're they're likely in either way but i think if they're not going to go 5 and 3 it's cuz sacramento beat them once or twice and uh they have a schedule that's easy enough to to pass them is there any scenario, I mean, like, is there any likelihood that you guys are considering where two non-Grizzlies teams make the plan? Because their schedule is brutal as well. 
I mean, they'd probably have to go, what, like one in seven? Yeah. Like, okay, so if they go two and six, the other two teams would both have to go six or two and better. I guess that's – so, so yeah, the Grizzlies would have to go two and six or worse. I – you know how much I love Ja Morant. Aside from him getting injured, I think in any eight games, the Grizzlies are going to – well. Yeah, I don't think I, – I would put that at a 2% probability. But if Portland beats them right in that first game, I, I would say it's possible. But it would have to be Portland and New Orleans. I can't see any of the other teams. And I just I just can't see I, – I can't see Memphis getting in that position for another reason. It's, it's the – it's the schedule, but it's the back end of the schedule and how it's structured. Like their last three games are against the Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks, and there's a damn good chance that none of those three games matter for those for those three teams. And so, you know, I've seen good arguments that it's only eight games. You don't want to take any off. You're going to play your guys normal normal minutes or slightly under normal minutes for the majority of these games. I'm not buying it uh, to that degree. And I think, I mean, Raptors or Celtics, you could have one of those two teams just not care because their seating's locked in. And then the Bucks last game before the playoffs, I, I definitely don't think they, they're taking that one seriously. So um, I just don't see a scenario where Memphis loses enough games to not at least make the play-in. So you're, you would bet right now that Tatum plays more minutes in game two than in game seven? Um, depending on how seating shakes out, yeah, because I think – um, or how their seating chances look towards the end, because I think still like there's enough there's enough wiggle room at the start that you could if you would, or if you care that much about where you slot in two versus three, for example, you could you could make the argument. But um, but yeah, so I, I think I think there's it's more likely that teams in those positions will be ramping down towards the end. Not really. Yeah. Also, I I don't know if I necessarily agree with that Buck statement because. They're going to go into the playoffs, and who are they playing? They're playing the Nets, doesn't, yeah, right? Doesn't matter. Best case scenario, they're playing the Nets. I mean, or they're playing the Wizards. They're not playing the Magic. They're, they're playing G League-level players. So I, I don't ne- necessarily think they need to rest for Memphis. I, 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 think, I think conceptually I, I agree with you 100%. I still think there are optics to worry about. It's a stupid reason. But if you see, if one of your players goes down the last game of the season for the playoffs when you already had everything totally locked up, just the optics of that look really bad. And so I don't think teams will feel like risking it. Yeah, I maybe the Bucks. I don't agree with the other ones. I think like I think the Clippers main guys are going to be playing more minutes in game seven or eight than they will tomorrow night. Um like I, I, I don't think they really care. I don't, I don't like. Why does the seeding matter to anybody? And like maybe jockering for position of avoiding some, but like you're gonna have to beat anybody, everybody anyway. And there's no more road games. Like I don't think seeding matters to pretty much anybody anymore. I think most teams are gonna treat this like the exhibition season, and in the exhibition season, you tend to play more guys or guys more minutes the later game. But, but I also think that if you're, you know, I would care more about seeding not because of uh, – it would be because about when I can play a team and, and delaying the inevitable in the sense that 
maybe if there's a team I don't want to face, I mean, I'm, I'd say let's count out the, the Clippers, Lakers, and Bucks for now because I feel like they're just a tier above everyone else. But there's a situation where something weird happens because it's the bubble and because it's a neutral site that a team you were scared shitless about doesn't end up making it past the first round. And if that's, you know, if you're trying to avoid a certain team, I'm, I mean, I think trying to avoid that team for a long as, as long as possible is still a, a decent strategy if it's just one seeding spot that, that makes the difference. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll know in a couple of weeks. I, I just, I don't believe that that's going to be the priority. I think teams, the priority is going to be hitting the playoffs at their peak and, and treating this like a extended preseason and in every sport when it's the preseason teams treat it the same they start off with lower minutes more guys in the rotation and then ratchet it up so um that my guess is that's how it'll play out so I I I don't know I don't but I I don't know what the schedule is going to hold for any of them or how to think of games as winnable or not winnable like I think maybe it's the smartest thing to just bet on the team that you think is the best team. And out of all the teams, eight through 13 in the West, I think it goes Portland, New Orleans, Memphis, Sacramento, as far as just who the best teams take away tiebreakers, take away all the other X factors and schedule or whatever. So based on that, I probably should bet on on Portland to eventually get the eight seed. But even so I, the, yeah, I, I was curious because the, the 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 two game having to win two games over Memphis is what shifts it for me. But otherwise, that makes sense. So I, I have a sort of pick 'em question for you guys to close this podcast out. What um, this is is what is going to happen more tomorrow? Is there going to be more Rudy Gay, not Rudy Gay, Rudy Gobert? screen assists or are there going to be more Josh Hart points scored? Oh, man. I'm going Josh Hart points scored. I'm going 12 to 8. Um, I'm going to go yeah I, I sold Josh Hart but uh, I, I've got like 10 to 10 to five or something like that man i I thought you were gonna throw in josh hart's high five josh hart high fives not received no then it wouldn't be your fair contest i'm actually gonna go go bear i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go 16 screen assists to 13 points scored oh go bear ain't gonna play that many minutes yeah and also he doesn't have the stat patterns working for him (laughs) yeah but they're missing bogdanovich so they I feel like their game is just going to be mostly high screen and roll. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I think their offense is going to be a bit stale compared to their typical uh, orchestrated brilliance that Quinn Snyder wants to run. Okay. We'll see. Go Pels. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Nothing negative happening tomorrow. All right. Thanks for listening.
Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent-to-own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team. Hello everyone, my name's Colin Kelly and I have one question for you. Do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021? Then be sure to check out Rotoviz Overtime and all the other Rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on Blue Wire. We've got you covered for all things fantasy football. Subscribe to Rotoviz Overtime today.